And uh, I want to start tonight by cleaning up a few of the details that, uh, uh, I, th I think they're called the detritus, that I left last week um, over verse 4 before we dive into um, uh, verse 5, because uh, I, I have to warn you, ladies and gentlemen, verse 5 is tough. It, uh, verse 5 is, a, is tough, and we'll, we'll get a chance to, and the privilege to look at that next week, Lord willing. But there's just a few things that I wanted to wrap up. Um, I, I, what I tried to point out last week is that Paul is, is condemning a view of God's goodness um, and, and ultimately a view of God himself that allows people to go on sinning and to do so high-handedly. You know, gang, none of, we all realize that, uh, that, we are, that we are full of sin, but uh, he is condemning a, a particular view of God that brings no sense of um, uh, desire for holy living. And, and that's what he mentions in verse 4. Uh, and uh, let me read it to you again. I'm just going to read verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The design of God's goodness, the purpose of God's goodness, was to lead us to repentance, not to uh, license or a life of license. So he is, he is condemning a view of God, a view of his goodness that, um, that, that doesn't give men care over their their lifestyles and behaviors, etc. Um, I said last week that, that that clause right there, that the goodness of God leads us to repentance, is one of my favorite in the whole Bible. Well, um, repentance, the word repentance, is one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. And, uh, and I'm going to say that to last, but uh, and I've got a couple of reasons as to why it's such a, a, um, a treasured word, at least in, in my uh, understanding. So we'll get to that as we close. I want to draw your attention back to a couple of things uh, that's stated in this text. This clause begins with this negation. Not knowing. Not knowing that the goodness of God uh, leads you to repentance. Um, th there's an interesting little note here that I think you need to see, and I think it has some widespread application, and that's why I'm, I'm taking us back to it. Because um, um, Paul does something here in the Greek language that is... Um, that is a bit odd. He uses a word that he does not, um, that he doesn't, he doesn't really have to use. He, I, I, I bring all this stuff just to impress you that I have a seminary education, but um, um, he uses that word, agnoeo, um, when he could have used the normal, the normal. Um, What he, yeah, that's the one, I mean, this is a negation, not, and, and this is, you know what a Gnostic is, this is a G-I-N-O-S-K-O, Gnosko. Paul goes out of his way, this is, all this means is not to know. And he, um, he could have used that, and it would have meant essentially the same thing. But he uses this, and there's a reason. Um, because he's trying to make a point, ladies and gentlemen. It's a point that I want to try to make. Um, because th this, this is a far more um, illustrative word than just not knowing. There is, a, there is an element of willful 
um, a, a willful, almost a contemptuous lack of concern in this word that is not amiss. Um, there's, a, there's a deliberate effort to remain ignorant in this and not in this. Um, they ought to know, but they are willfully refusing to know, which is why this word is chosen as opposed to this, this combination of words. There is no excuse for them not to know. The only excuse is that there is a deliberate and willful ignorance on the part of those who were supposed to know. Now, I, I tried to think of an illustration, and this is the best I could do, so um, hopefully this will be illustrative of, of the point I'm trying to make. One of my great fears uh, as the pastor of this church is that, um, you know, we're, we're somewhere around 1,000 members, I think a little bit over 1,000 members, and, and, um, uh, and I teach all the new members classes, but um, there's going to come a time when somebody is going to walk forward, and I'm not going to know their name. So we ask them to bring this little card with them. Uh, now, 99 times out of 100, I do know your name. And, um, and, and so I really don't need the card, and the card doesn't have a whole lot of purposes. We do keep them on file around here. But one of these days, somebody's going to walk forward to join the church. They're not going to have their card, and I'm going to have to say, <laughs> are we all delighted to have, uh, what is your name, uh, join here at Gracie Van? That's going to tear me up. But, but there, there is a sense in which, ladies and gentlemen, that is excusable. That is a, that is a lack of information, a lack of knowledge, a not knowing, a, 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 uh, I, I just didn't know. That would be bad. But um, what if I did know, but I chose deliberately choosing to forget your name? Um, and I somehow was able to deliberately refuse to know who you were. Th there's one thing to, oh, that information just is not in my possession. It's another thing to willfully refuse to take, uh, and, and take hold of information that's available to me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the difference in these two words. If you walk forward without your card and I don't know you, I will may gnosko not know you. But if I've decided that you're offensive and I just refuse to engage in any way to, to, to know you or like you, that is agnoeo. And the word that you find here, of course, is agnao. That there is a willful, deliberate refusal. And, and gang, what I'm suggesting is that the majority of this country is guilty of the same thing that the Jews that Paul is describing here are guilty of. It's not that the information is not available. It's that they, that they deliberately refuse to possess it. I don't want that information. And so they have willfully designed their circumstances such that they don't have to consider the information that is available to them. I, I'd love to show you a... Uh, maybe you don't need to turn. Let me just read it to you. 
you can, it's in Second Peter. But, uh, and, and I'm not saying that these words are found in this text, but this is the idea. This is Second Peter 3, verses 4 and 5. Uh, listen to this. Well, let me just read you verse 5. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, uh, and the earth standing out of water and in the, wor- uh, and in the water, etc. It's a reference to creation. But you'll notice what he, how Peter begins the sentence. For this, they willfully forget. There is information. It is readily available. But they deliberately choose to, to, to get away from, to get around that information. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the majority of America is doing the very same thing that Paul is denouncing here in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, when he says, not knowing. And he is not describing a condition where people just hadn't had the information available to them. He is describing a deliberate, willful refusal. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't prove any of this, and y'all just, you can consider it uh, as to whether it has any merit. But you know, one of the one of the real growth industries in um, in America today is recreation. I did read where Nike stock was down, but um, you know, I don't know about you. I am a football lover. I love football, particularly college football, particular particularly Big Orange football. Um, <laughs> thank you. <Yeah. laughs> Let's have a moment of silence <laughs> over the rich recruiting class. Y'all haven't gone to sleep completely, um, but um, and and you know when when all the bowls are over and Tennessee has been humbled by Nebraska once again, um, you know I somewhat grudgingly but but enjoyingly turn my attention towards professional football. But I don't know about the rest of you, but I for one am so glad that there's only a week now between the NFC and AFC finals and the Super Bowl because I can't stand any more of it. It's just, they want to know what their ring sizes are and they want to know, you know, and I think, why all this fuss? Has it not, has it not gotten to the point of nausea to you yet? But uh, all I'm suggesting, and I'm just suggesting, I wonder about the craze. You know, I was in Atlanta uh, I don't know, 36 hours before kickoff. And we flew out of there and, and missed the snow. And the, but, you know, the whole place got just coated with ice. But they still got there. <laughs> How'd they do that? How did the thing go on perfectly? Because there's such a craze. And, and I wonder if some of the craze is not to be explained because they willfully want to refuse to consider items that are so blasted, profound, and searching, and perhaps even condemning. And so they turn the radio up louder, and they spend their money outlandishly so they can avoid knowing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's not because the information is not available. 
It's because there is a willful, deliberate refusal to possess the information. Now, um, God's goodness was designed to bring men to repentance. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, in the case of all of you who sit here as brothers and sisters in Christ, it worked. That's what happened. God's goodness, as primarily portrayed in the work of Jesus Christ, brought us to the place where we saw our sin and wanted nothing more to do with it. It's interesting to me that the, the text says that the goodness of God leads them to repentance. It doesn't say it leads them to salvation. It doesn't say it leads them to accept Christ. But what the goodness of God does is bring men to the place where they see their, their sin and thus their need of a Savior. Um, and gang, no one sees their need of a Savior until they have sin. That their sin is something that needs to be shed and turned from. I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes because this word repentance is such a key one in the New Testament. I wanted to spend a couple of minutes just defining once again. We've done this before, but uh, if the goodness of God is supposed to lead me to repentance, then I better, it, it seems to me that it would be a, a wise thing to know what it is that it's supposed to lead me to. Uh, I, I need to know what repentance is. And I'm afraid that there is, there is not wide scale, but there is um, there's some misunderstanding of the word. Um, the Latin word, that is translated repentance is one that means think again. The, the Greek word is a word that you've seen before, metanoia, which uh, includes the idea of, of a change of mind. But um, like I have said to you in the past, that saving faith revolves three component parts, so does repentance. And I really want you to see it because I think the text, not, not this one, but another one, if you can find real quickly 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a great teaching a passage on repentance. In fact, uh, I don't know of anything better in the New Testament about repentance than this text. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me begin reading, if I can find my glasses, uh, at verse 8. Now, guys, <clears throat> all right, this, this is great stuff. Uh, you you want to know what the Bible, how to, the Bible defines something? Here it is. And, you know, and I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes this issue of repentance is confused with the word penance. But it ain't that, folks. Here we go. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Here we go. Now, I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might not suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, hold on right there. We're going to come back to that text in verse 11. But, but you notice, ladies and gentlemen, there is a distinction being made in this text. There is something out there called sorrow that won't benefit you. Paul is rejoicing not that they were made sorry, 
but that they were made sorry to the point of repentance. And, and I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that there are three component parts. One of, of course, begins with the same thing um, that faith begins with. There has to be an understanding what is defined as sin. And then, because I now know that that's denounced by God, I mourn. I say, oh yes, not only does that does, does God denounce that, but that's present to me, and I'm sorry. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not repentance. Because repentance also includes an element of change. It's not simply being sorry, but being sorry enough to quit. And that's repentance. Repentance says, yeah, this is really bad. And by God's grace, I'm not doing it anymore. I, I, I've told this story before, but years ago, we went to visit some friends of ours who were in the pastorate, and they had just had their first baby, and, and um, uh, her name was Missy. And uh, um, anyway, they, they lived in this manse. You know, some Presbyterian churches owned the house where the preachers lived. That's awful. But, but anyway, uh, they did. It was this big old rambling, huge old thing. And uh, the baby was about two, I think. And the baby just running around the house, you know, out the big, and you, you'd always hear it just, you know, pounding around these wood floors. And, um, and on one occasion, um, Linda, the mother, was, we were just carrying on, you know, enjoyable conversation or what have you. And um, Linda stopped. And she said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And we said, what's the matter? And she said, I can't hear Missy. And I said, oh my, she must be hurt. She said, oh, no, no, no. When she's quiet, she's doing something she's not supposed to be doing. <laughs> so sure enough, we head for the kitchen. And there is Missy, literally, with her hand in the proverbial cookie jar. <laughs> literally. And, and we walk in, and the moment we walked in, it was Susie, me, and Linda, the moment we hit that kitchen and the doors open, she began to wail. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, you aged, wise, seasoned parents, what do you think was the meaning of that wail? <laughs> oh, no. My heart is broken because I have offended the mother that I love. <laughs> you think that was it? <laughs> oh, me! Look at the standards of transgression that I have violated here in the home. <laughs> I have brought disunity to the wonderful Bland family. You think that was it? Or do you think, oh, no! They caught me! <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, in the main, what you see evangelicalism produce, not in the main, but not frequently what you see evangelicalism producing, is just what Missy had. Oh no, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm being audited. I'm caught. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the sorrow of the world. And it is not repentance. 
And if you look at that text real closely, you will see that the sorrow of the world, ooh, look at the text, ladies and gentlemen. But the sorrow of the world produces death. But godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted. So gang, what the goodness of God is supposed to produce in us is this stuff, not this. It's supposed to produce in us such a concern over our sin that we say, oh God, help me, because I know how grievous this stuff is and I want nothing else to do with it. I've had enough. And that's repentance. Gang, um, now let me tell you why it's one of my favorite words. I, I love the word repentance because the word is so blasted full of hope. It, 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 why, by that I mean this. Where repentance is present, when repentance exists, we have the chance for a whole new start. It doesn't matter what I did. When repentance is, is present, we can start over. That's a thrill. Um, don't ever give up on anybody. Oh, I've got an alcoholic father who scarred me tremendously. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. We all were raised in dysfunctional homes. Just a matter of degree. By the way, I'm sorry to tell you this, Mom and Dad, but you're pretty dysfunctional, too. Very frankly, Susie and I, I bet you we have asked this 15 times over the course of raising our children. I wonder what our children will tell the counselor in whose office they sit one day. <laughs> you should have met my daddy. <laughs> he was so off or I hope they don't but 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 anyway we're all we're all not none of us are perfect parents folks I'm sorry but but um don't give up on the alcoholic because when repentance exists we can start over Jesus will forgive you and we can build a new life nothing could be more hopeful you know um I'm frequently in situations where marriages have broken up and, and exploded. And one of the partners, I was on the phone with one tonight at 515. Um, and one of the partners wants to put it right. And so I, um, I met with him, not tonight, previously. I, um, I met with him. And of course, in this case, it's, the husband who has been unfaithful in spades. And um, this little wife, she so desires to get it back together. She so wants, not a part of this church, but so wants to forgive, move on, etc. And she just can't bring herself to finally say, okay, I've got a, I'm gonna call a lawyer. You know, you know, I, I, I don't ever tell anybody to call a lawyer. 
Um, but here's what I always say, darling. If repentance is present, we can get this back together again. If it isn't, it'll just be one series of delusions and deceptions until everybody's heart is broken. Now, as I close, I'm about to make a very dangerous boast. I'm not sure I can back this up. Take it or leave it. But I've been in the ministry 25 years. I'm 52 years old. Much to my chagrin. Here's my boast. I can almost spot it. I can almost see it when it's there. I can do that because the text gives us some guidelines. Let's read those. Look at verse 11. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Here it is. What diligence is produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Look at those words, y'all. Paul says, I know you repented because I saw, I saw diligence and I saw in, with fear and vehement desire and zeal and indignation. I saw all those things in you. I saw you finally come to the place where you said, no, 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 I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. I'll take the blame. I did it. I'm the one that needs the help. Assuming responsibility for my failure. I can almost spot it. And I can almost spot when it's not there too. I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, there's one word that you will never hear come out of a repentant man's mouth. It's this word, but. Yeah, well, I did a bad thing, but. Repentant people don't talk like that. Now let me say this now, shut up. Guys, me and you as the people of God, we need repentance too. Do you remember when David blew it? with Bathsheba. <laughs> Remember Nathan goes to him and he writes Psalm 51. Remember all that? And then he repents, writes that Psalm. Have you read, ever read those chapters after that? Remember when he's being run out of town and this, this scalawag, <laughs> this street bum begins to rail at him Ah, you're the king of Israel, huh? And he begins to throw, throw rocks at him. And Shemai says, David, let me go get him. You know what David says? Leave him alone. I deserve everything he's saying. That's hopeful, ladies and gentlemen, because repentance changed David out of his sin. 
He's a new man. And you see it in that sweet spirit that David possesses now. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. Repentance is one of my favorite words. Because when it's there, we can go on. We can rebuild. We can start over. We can construct. We can heal. When it's not, we're wasting our time. Let's quit. Oh, before I pray, those of you who need to go to meetings in the choir, please be dismissed. Now, let me lead us in prayer. Father, as we sit here tonight, many of us remember the the set of circumstances that you authored to convince us how good you were for having provided a savior for us and being so convinced that you were good and that you would forgive people like us. Oh, Father, it caused us to mourn over our sin. It caused us to weep. Your word even told us, blessed are they that mourn, for they would be comforted. And we were, we are, we were comforted by knowing that your goodness by the might of the Holy Spirit accomplished in that was what it was supposed to. It produced Holy Ghost authored repentance. And we started all over. And Father, how we we are glad in that day. But even now, as your children, we have blown it. And we find ourselves returning to the spot of of our first repentance, wanting to repent again, wanting to change all over, because you give us such full and fresh and free forgiveness. You tell us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, perhaps we need cleansing more than we should, but we're grateful for it. Thank you for these people, Father, and their interest in holy things, and might your word live in us. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.